What caused marathon legend Elliot Kipchoge to slow down in the Boston Marathon? How do we feel about Olympian Alexi Pappas and her partnership with Playboy magazine? What kind of exciting updates do we know about the Paris Olympic Marathon in 2024? All these topics and more, so stay tuned. This is the Lucy Beatrix Podcast. In this episode of Fast Times or my new running news segment, I'm discussing hot topics in the running community. Today, I'm going to chat about some of the stories that I find noteworthy right now. So let's get started. First things first, Elliot Kipchoge, he's the GOAT. Basically, he just wins more marathons than anyone, and he was the first man to ever break two hours in the marathon distance, and he's the guy that we expect to set records at the World Marathon Majors courses, since that's what he typically does. This year, however, at the Boston Marathon, while everyone was gunning for him to take the big win and set a course record on Monday, things didn't go according to plan. So let's get into what we think could have happened. Elliot started the race strong, and he was clearly seen leading the pact. But the thing about Boston and the Boston Marathon course is that while it's very hilly, the beginning of the race is pretty much a downhill. It basically starts on a downhill. So it is typical that um, unlike most marathons where people try to start a little bit slower and finish a little bit faster, this race was starting pretty quickly. And it was clear from the beginning that he was the one taking the lead. And while we expect this, there's actually this thing called drafting where typically you want to have other runners kind of do the work for you and stay a little bit in front of you to break the wind. And then you uh, you kind of take your position later on during the race and lead the way when you know you're going to break away and try to win. And from my own um, experience, this is kind of silly because I'm obviously nowhere near Elliot Kipchoge, but I know that in the best races I've ever had, I've experienced this where I've let other runners kind of assume the, the start and get ahead of me and I kind of just stay on their tail and let them do the work with pacing and just try to like stay connected to them. But then at the end, that's when you really rip. So this is typical of marathons, especially because it's such a long ways to go. But we see in the very beginning of the race, Elliot Kipchoge is the one front and center in the front of the pack. And you even see this clip where he is kind of making this, he's looking back at his arms and he's saying like, guys, come, come here. What are you doing? And it's kind of like him summoning his his other runner, um, I guess these are his training partners. He probably just knows these people, but he's saying, hey guys, like, I don't want to be the one leading the way. Like, help me out. And you would think that someone along in the race would have tried to be like ahead of him just to like help him, you know, get this record, this course record. But I guess uh, that didn't go according to plan. So from the get-go, he was the one doing a lot of drafting, which takes a little extra energy because you're the one breaking the wind and it's... It's hard. It's hard to be the one also thinking about the pace and thinking like, am I going too fast or too slow? And like, you just want to not have to think for those first few miles. So that's the beginning. And um, he's going at the clip that he needs to go. But um, in order to like, you know, break the, the course record. 
But then, not that far along, he misses his fluid bottle. So for the elites in the marathon, there are different tables that have the um, water bottles with different mixtures of fluids that you you basically have a concoction that's perfect to your own needs when you're an elite marathoner. And um, it has like the right amount of carbohydrates and electrolytes based on your performance. And someone like Elliot Kipchoge, it is dialed in exactly the amount of calories he needs to take in throughout the race. So he misses his bottle. And this is a big deal. I know from my own experience that in my very first marathon ever, uh, when I ran a 255 in CIM, I miss the water stations as well. <laughs> this is like, this is me trying to relate to to uh, Elliot Kipchoge, but I missed my own fluid station. And I'll never forget how much that hit me back at the end of the race where I was just like, man, everything would have gone very differently if I had only gotten in some electrolytes or some fluid early on like that. So I feel you. I feel you, man. I understand what that feels like. And so he missed his fluids. But ultimately, and this is this is what I've I've come to learn is that those two things with the drafting and the fluid station are a big deal. But it's my opinion that it's not just those things that actually caused him to not bomb because we don't want to call a 209 marathon bombing, but not ending ending up like in the first place or getting a record or even the first three. Because ultimately, he did come in um, later on in the race. He, he finished in 209, which was like five, five or seven minutes slower than what he was projected to do. And the reason that I think it is, is because of the very controversial and infamous shoes. And this is coming from someone who I just did an ad for these these shoes, the, the Nike Vaporflies that are like the newest racing shoes on the market. They're the ones you've heard about with the carbon plate. Elliot Kipchoge is kind of the face of these shoes. And let me tell you, I love these shoes. These are the best. They're so good for racing marathons. They're just, they give you that spring in your step. But something that maybe we haven't really thought too much about is how these shoes hold up in the rain. And it was a rainy day in Boston. So there is this theory that was broken down on the TRP exclusive YouTube channel where I'm attaching a link in the show notes explaining how the foam in these Nikes could have actually held on to the water from the rain and added extra weight. And the last thing you want is to have extra weight on you when you're racing. So yeah, I mean, this kind of made sense to me. And I was talking to a few of my friends about it who ran Boston, whose times also were like a little bit off what they were thinking, who raced in these exact shoes. And I said, do you think that it has to do with rain? Kind of, you know, the rainwater making the shoes heavier And it's just, it's something to think about. But it is funny because if you look at these press conference interviews with Kepchoge, he talks about his legs just feeling heavy and how he couldn't lift them and just makes you wonder. So who knows? I don't, I'm not saying that this is the reason, but I think it's an interesting take. And it's something that I actually, it's something that's made me consider, like if I'm doing a race and if it happens to be raining, I wonder if I'll have a second pair of shoes on me or maybe something that one of the other guys was wearing who actually did win. Uh, I think that the top three finishers, I'm pretty sure were wearing Adidas. So I'm curious what those shoes were. And I wonder how they differ from like the foam 
that uh, Nike's patented technology has and whether or not we know if rain can affect these shoes. So just an interesting opinion and thought as to why Elliot Kipchoge did not hit his goal at the Boston Marathon. Now, the next story that is kind of uh, hot and people are talking about it is Alexi Pappas and Playboy magazine. First things first, who's Alexi Pappas? She is a track and field star. She went to the Olympics to represent Greece, even though she's American born. She obtained her Greece citizenship and was able to compete in the 10K on the track in Rio. And since then, she's transitioned to the marathon distance where she has actually found herself on the other side of things as far as more of a really amazing running-related storyteller. So she has this book called Bravey. It's a memoir, and she had a movie come out called Track Town, as well as Olympic Dreams. And she lives in LA, and it's kind of cool to see how someone who was a competitive runner, and that was her entire life for so long, is also a pretty prolific writer, and she loves just the stories surrounding what she's doing. I followed her for many years. I, I first read an article she wrote in the New York Times around the Rio Olympics, and I found her very fascinating. I love how she described the 10K, because that's a distance that I feel very... Um, very obsessed with, especially the track 10K. So she has kind of transcended her professional running career into this whole other thing of having movies and just the stories. And I mean, I think that's really cool. And I love that like for her right now, it's not so much about times. Like she's not trying to make it to the Olympics the way she used to. She uh, is just kind of doing things adjacent to running that are unique. And she just... Um, paced a celebrity at the LA Marathon, Diplo, who's a DJ, who I actually talked about this a few episodes ago on my show. He ran the LA Marathon on LSD, which is its own story. Um, I, I heard another interview with Alexi Pappas where she was talking about how she didn't she didn't really know that he was doing this uh, during the race that she paced him for. But um, what I'm saying is that she has done other things surrounding the 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 art of running that has to do with her art. So she's done things like when she raced the New York Marathon this past fall, she um, she dressed up and wore glitter and like was kind of dancing along the course. And it wasn't about time at all. It was about just enjoying herself and having fun. And I think that's pretty cool. So um, more recently, she paced a blind runner um, at the Boston Marathon, which leads me to this controversial topic of her paid partnership. Um, I guess I should just say her partnership, but I saw on Instagram it said that she had done a collab with Playboy. And Playboy magazine, as we know, historically was kind of a... it was the magazine that was like for men and it was like women in their in like lingerie and like sexy and stuff. And so this is controversial because we see her with the Playboy ears and she's wearing her Boston medal and kind of in um in sports clothes. And I saw this come across my feed and I thought, you know, cool, like whatever. Play- Playboy has ha- tried to have a rebrand. They're trying to make themselves seem they're, they're doing more things and bringing on more collaborators that are not what the old Playboy spoke to because the old Playboy was kind of 
problematic. And so now they're trying to have more of a feminist tone and having all different kinds of stories. Um, and I don't think that's a problem. I think it's kind of cool. And it kind of also like speaks to the idea that Alexi Pappas just kind of transcends whatever people are thinking is what you she she went from saying, OK, hey, I'm not one size fits all just an Olympian. I'm going to do all these other things and do pretty well with them. And so I think her having some kind of a collaboration with Playboy talking about pacing this blind runner at Boston is great. Good for you. I think that it's also kind of good for the magazine because I think it is trying to break the barrier of what we know Playboy to be. There was a whole there's a whole generation of people who don't know old Playboy and now they're going to see Alexi Pappas and say, okay, like this is an interesting story. I think the story itself is the most important part here. And that's that she's rewriting the script of what Olympians do after their um, careers on the track and saying, hey, I'm pacing other people to their own personal dreams. And that story happens to be in, uh, you know, the frame is put around this story in Playboy magazine. And so good for everyone involved. I don't see anything like bad about this, but on the Let's Run forum on, um, it's like this this running forum that really big running nerds follow. People were all up in arms. And I'm just like, you know what? It's, I think it's, it's actually like a, a, positive momentum and heck who knows who knows who else would end up um doing some other thing with them some other collaborations i was thinking how funny it would be if somebody like dina castor also contributed to playboy like just i think they should even go even further and have some like og marathon veterans give their contributions to playboy because i feel like that would even be more shocking so yeah that's my hot take on the whole pappas and playboy controversy in other news, this is a little bit of a turn. You should know about this story surrounding the racial profiling happening at the mile 21 mark or Heartbreak Hill of the Boston Marathon. How there were a bunch of cops, so many cops, randomly stationed around the cheer squads at the Boston Marathon for pioneers and trailblazers, the running communities based in Boston that promote running in communities for people of color. And so basically, the way that this all kind of came out that we we saw what was going down was Mike Remy, who is a runner, it posts that he's cheering for his friends and family going by at the mile 21 mark. And there's this video depicting how he just sees all these cops with bikes and they're all basically right next to each other, um, blocking the cheer squads from these running communities from cheering basically, or they're silencing the excitement surrounding the marathon. And it is, it is such a messed up video because it's just so sad that this happened. And so you see Remy um, talking to the cops. He's asking them if this is how they are on the whole course. He's like, is this how you guys are on the whole course? Just standing here blocking us from cheering. And it's clear that there's just racial profiling happening here. And I saw this video I watched it a few times and I saw some other runners posting it and I showed it to a few people 
And I was sadly shocked, but also not shocked, since this is what we need to be aware of. There are cities, um, you know, there are cities like Boston. I feel like Boston is notoriously pretty bad, but there are cities, but there are community, I mean, there are, um, there's a problem all across America with uh, racial profiling, for sure. But for this to have happened at the Boston Marathon, uh, on the sidelines of the Boston course, says a lot about Boston. And that's kind of how I interpreted it. I was like, gosh, this this is this is really bad. And I I'm sad because I think that this video this video is going viral and it's showing that there's so much racism and that this behavior is pretty obviously not okay. But the worst part is the comments that are condoning it. I would say that that's even more shocking and sad than the the video itself. It's that there are people in the comments on Twitter and Instagram saying, yeah, like these cops, they were just protecting the people. And like, that's the kind of stuff you see, which is like, it, it amplifies the racism present, not just from the cops, but from the people in the community that are saying that this was totally fine. So that's where I think is the real sickening part of the whole story. So there was a statement from Jack Fleming or the president and CEO of the BAA, Boston Athletic Association, addressing this situation uh, where he stated that uh, they need to do better and, you know, trying to, I guess it's his attempt to apologize, but it doesn't change that it happened. And there's a video that's pretty glaring and, um, it's, you know, it doesn't change the fact that this kind of ruined the Boston Marathon for for a lot of people. Because I can only imagine if you're cheering for your, you're either running the race and you're waiting to hear the cheers at mile 21 or you're cheering for your family and this happens. It's like, come on. It's pretty horrible. So there are... Um, there are some amazing people in the running community that are just trying to express the joy and love that comes with running and celebrate all the hard work. And for those people to be silenced and patrolled for no reason is just unacceptable. And so I'm just hoping that somehow there can be a resolution. Um, I don't totally know the answer, but I feel like it's a pretty, pretty big, pretty big deal. And I, um, I would say that the best way to learn more about this story is to go listen to Remy himself talking on the Rambling Runner podcast. This podcast, they interviewed um, him right away. I think they interviewed him like the day after it happened. So you can hear him describe what happened or you can watch his video on Instagram. Uh, There was a Runner's World article that was called Black Spectators Say Police Targeted the Boston Cheer Zone. I don't like the name of that article because it's like saying black spectators say police targeted the Boston cheer zone when it's like it should just be that the police targeted a Boston cheer zone. I feel like it's kind of a weird article. I don't know. Sometimes with the the titles of articles, I'm kind of like, uh, it rubs me the wrong way. But it is an article that it kind of depicts uh, what went down. So that said, uh, pretty dark Um, To wrap up the show today of Fast Times, I found out a random piece of gossip that is worth just uh, putting out there. I love like this. This is not any kind of like news or facts. I think it's just completely hearsay. So take with it what you will. 
but I have a feeling it's true. Uh, that is that the Paris Olympic Marathon in 2024, so a year and a few months from now, is now set to have a start time. The event start time is 9 p.m. at night, which to me, I think that sounds pretty cool. There was some chatter about this, and I was thinking how I'm a night runner. I love running at night, and I think that's really awesome because for for a few reasons. Now, I'm speculating that they're doing this or starting the marathon event at night because they want to beat the heat. And historically, in the Summer Olympics, the marathons are very hot. It's why they actually had the Tokyo Olympics marathon outside of Tokyo because it was too hot to do it actually in Tokyo. So um, they're trying to come up with a way to do it when it's not the hottest time of day. But really, <laughs> I envision that the it's more that like, think about it, the French cafes being full of people hanging out, drinking wine, watching a bunch of the best marathoners from all around the world, running down the cobblestone streets of Paris at like 10.30 p.m. seems really cool and fun. Like imagine like the Eiffel Tower is all lit up and you see all these Olympic marathoners in the, in the night. In the night? Oh man, it seems so cool. Don't you want to be there for that? I definitely want to be there for that. And I want to just like, I don't know, experience it. I think like something about Paris for the backdrop of the next Olympics just seems really magical. And I mean, I love Paris. I was there this past fall and I I love Paris. So I love the idea of a night race in Paris watching um, fast people in, you know, this amazing city. So yeah, that's, these are my news stories that I uh, wanted to talk to you guys about today. I've got some links in the show notes to some more information about some of the things I discussed. And uh, you can always find me on Instagram. It's a great place for me to connect with you guys. I'm at Lucy Beatrix, L-U-C-I-E-B-E-A-T-R-I-X. And until next time, just be fast. Just win. Just win.